I want to thank uh, Brother Aaron for asking me to speak tonight. I know I'm not young, young, but I'm young at heart. You know, the Bible says, you know, three score and ten is a good time. I'm half over that by a few years. But, you know, I still consider myself young. I guess it's just the way you look. So as you can see, our theme, our topic tonight is standing our ground. So as we look at this, most of us have saw this video that's been hitting the internet, it's been hitting everywhere. Weather Channel, he's, he's having a really hard time standing his ground. And then as you notice, as Hurricane Florence, which I don't mean nothing bad about, notice the two guys walking. They're just walking like nothing is going on. And here he is just having a really hard time. Well, the Weather Channel come out and they said, well, he had been up for a really long time and he's standing on wet grass. And so that was really the biggest problem of it. But you see how it goes. The other idea is we think of standing ground, this idea. Now this hit probably three to four weeks ago. If you don't know who this is, this is Colin Kaepernick. He's the one who basically started the let's kneel during the national anthem. I have a, I have a reason. I want to I get down. I want to protest something. And so this is what I'm going to do. He stood his ground. Well... Nike thought that it would be really good to put him in and let him be their face. Well, he says he sacrificed everything. He really did. He doesn't have a job anymore. He doesn't play, but yet there's no telling how much money he's making off of Nike. If I'm not mistaken, I read that Nike stock has topped one of its highs in a, quite some time because of this. And, you know, if you look on Facebook and a lot of social media, there was a lot of memes that come out. You know, there was squints from the sand lot. And there was all these different funny things that come off of this about sacrificing. But the best one that I saw was this one right here. Here Jesus was. He was in heaven. He had this perfect life and sacrificed it just to come here and live like we live. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much stuff you have. Nothing compares to what heaven was and he left it. He sacrificed it to come here. Then he did the ultimate sacrifice of actually taking his body and dying for us. Going through the pain of that death on Calvary's cross. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to do a little introduction, just a few things. Then we'll go to how uh, those in the Bible, some examples of those that were movable, some that weren't movable, and what we must do to help ourselves to be immovable. And then we'll wind everything up. So in the introduction... We as Christians sometimes, and I say Christians because I'm going to use that because the way the world looks. You hear so many people, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. We get defeated, so many people do, Christians, because they're not seriously engaged in battle. They think it's just something that is a nice thing to have. Um, we want Christianity to be soft and easy. You know, just like kids in school. If a kid in school, they want that easy grade, whatever it takes. If they find the answers to the test sitting over here, they're not going to tell us so because that's going to be an easy A for me. And that's how some, that's how we are sometimes. And I, and with, you think about this as ourselves, we want cushy. I had a man tell me one time, a neighbor, he said, no matter what you do, there's always an easier way of doing it. And I've told people, several people that. And there is. No matter what you, there's always an easier way. And then I add on to it, if you want to find that easy way, find the lazy person and I'm that lazy person. Because I'm going to show you the easy way. Because I want to figure it out. But when it comes to our Christianity and our fight, we have to stand firm. We, we, it's not always going to be easy. 
Hard times is what's going to make us stronger. I found this quote, War is a terrible thing, but if you're going to get into it, you've got to get into it all the way. Anybody that has ever known, you can't jump right in the middle of a war and just halfway do it. You've either got to go all out or not. And that's where we are with our Christianity. See, Satan's a bully. Bullies take anything that's not theirs that they want, they think they can. You know, we as, when, when you're a kid, they tell you you've got to stand up for yourself, you've got to do that. The same thing comes with our Christianity fight. We've got to stand up for ourselves. Um, we're in God's army. It is a battle. It's a battle every day. Matthew 10, 16, John 16, 33 says, Behold, I sent you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, we think about that as morally, as physically, a sheep and wolves. How many of us, if we had sheep, would throw it into a pack of wolves? We wouldn't because that's precious to us. But yet, that's what Jesus tells us. that we, that's, that's what we're done. We're put in the middle of that fight every day. John 16, 33, the, the last end says, In the world you have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus was that wolf. I mean, He was that sheep. Put in the wolves, but yet He overcame that. And that is a wonderful thing, uh, example for us. John fifteen seventeen through 19 tells us, These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world... The world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world hates Christianity. If that were not true, morality would not be at the low that it is. Because it is at a low. Anything that has to do with, which I get to that in a minute, so let me just hold on to that thought. In our fight, we are not to be swayed. 1 Corinthians 15, 57-58, which was just read, we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We are not to be swayed. We're to be that tree planted by the river. There's a song, and it comes off of Psalms 1 and 3. And it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers, of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the se- his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And that also goes back to Jeremiah does the same thing, but he adds in verse eight that the roots spreadeth her roots by the river, and when he sees the heat come, the leaf stays green during drought times. Our Christianity, when we've got our roots planted deep in Christianity, those hard times come. We're not going to be tipped over. You know, a lot of us, you can look, you know, I'm in the nursery business, so whenever a good strong wind comes, especially I've got little container trees, when that wind comes through, oh, man, it can be some bad damage. It just lays everything over. I've got to go out there. I've got to work and pick it up. Well, if if those little containers, if I could somehow get them where they could root, be down in the ground, I wouldn't have to worry about that. That's what my trees in the field are. They got the roots. They're down. That's how it is with Christianity. When the storms of life come at us, sometimes we just get swayed over because our roots aren't deep enough. So, now let's go into those examples that were movable. We think of the 12 spies in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Um, we know that the Lord come to Moses and He says, I need you to pick one man from every tribe 
And I want you to let them go spy it out. So Moses got the heads of each tribe and take them out. Numbers 13, verses 4 through 15, you can actually read the names of every one of those 12 spies. So they were to go out to investigate in the land of Canaan. See if they're strong. See if it's weak. See how the ground is. Is it fertile? Is it not fertile? Is, is there a lot of people, a few people? Is it good to live in? Is it going to be worth invading this country, this land? You know, because they were thinking this as physical. Um, the spies go out. They go for 40 days. They come back. They show them that, the, that it is prosperous, bringing figs, pomegranates, and grapes. They, they tell them the land is flowing with milk and honey, but the people are strong. The cities, they have some great walls around them, and the children of Anak are there. Mm. So Numbers 13, 30 through 33, we read, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it. It is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw it and the men are great stature. And there we saw giants, the son of Anak, which come out of the giants and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and we were as we, and so we were in their sight. I start hearing this bad report. I start murmuring. I start, what, how can you believe this? They brought us out of Egypt. Of course, we had bad life there, but you know, at least we had some stuff. And here we are. Well, now we've got to go against these giants. We, we, we'd be better off. And they start murmuring against Moses, Aaron. They start complaining a little bit. Caleb comes to them one more time in Numbers 14, 7 through 10, and says, And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. We know how this story ends up. They end up not putting their faith in God. They end up, anybody 20 and older doesn't even get to go in, and they end up for 40 years just walking around in the wilderness. But here's the beauty. Here's here's something too. When I when I started thinking about that, even though they didn't get to go in right then, who was still taken care of? God was still there taking care. Of. He gave them the manna to eat. He made sure they had water. He was still there watching over them, even though they didn't follow what he told them to do. That's the beauty of God's love. You know, when you walk by. And I was at a trade show recently, and people have their catalogs, they have their pens, they have this out, they have that out. And if you've ever been to any kind of convention or trade show, what's the one thing that a lot of people do? They get that bag and they go around and they pick this free stuff up, they pick this free stuff up, and they want to get all the free stuff. God's love, the salvation, is just like that free stuff. God's got it laid out for us. It's there. It's just up for us to take it. But do we choose to take it or do we walk by? But that's where we're at. <clears throat> Another example was Judas. Of course, we understand Judas, where he comes from. We know this story. Matthew 24, 14 through 16. Um, he was one of the apostles, as you read Matthew uh, 10, 2 through 4. 
tells us that, but the reading there in Matthew 26, one of the twelve called Judas went to his chief priest and said unto them, what will you, what will you give me and I will deliver him unto you? And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas was one of the chosen. But here, but the thing, when we read John 13, 21, Jesus tells us that He knew who would betray Him. He knew who the one was that was going to do this to Him. And Jesus respond, And when they began to ask Him, Jesus responded with, He, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I, have, when I have dipped it. And when He had dipped the sop, He gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said to him, That thou doest, do quickly. We know the rest of the story. He goes to him. He gets his money. He says, I will kiss who Jesus is. Takes him to that garden where Jesus is praying. You know, that last few prayers that he's praying to God. He kisses him. Then all of a sudden he realizes what he's done. He takes the money back, throws it down, repents, and we know that he did hang himself. He was not standing his ground with what he had been with all those uh, for those several months that he had been with Jesus. He became movable. The next one is Demas. Demas, uh, we read about his uh, movability there in Second Timothy four ten. He was a friend of Paul and a co-worker with him. And you, you read in Colossians four fourteen, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. And then in Philemon, he comes again in that letter, and he talks about Demas there in verse 24, my fellow laborers. But when you read 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. How many of us tonight can sit here and think about somebody that might have been in a pew next to you? That when they were baptized, they were strong. They were here, they were, and then over time, it just a little bit. In a little bit. That's where Demas was. Demas was right there with him in the middle of the fight. But that world just kept pulling him away. So now we look at some that were immovable. You've got Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel 1 and 3. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He has is, he, uh, he is besieged Jerusalem. As he goes in, he takes the best. He goes in and picks the young guys. Picks the good looking, the smart ones. He pulls these best and he wants to take them back. And he wants to just sort of work with them so they can learn his way and everything can work. And we know that he gave names. And so I had to throw these in here because some of the little kids would be like, who's those three people? But they all know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they, their ears may pop up at this one. As they were brought in, they refused to eat the king's, to, to eat the king's meat, to drink the king's wine. They said, we can't do it. We don't want to defile our body. So they chose to eat water and pulse, which was sort of like vegetables. And so we know that, as we know the story, it comes back and their bodies were better. They were healthy. They were so much uh, more robust men, if you want, that he saw fit, Nebuchadnezzar did, that that's fine. You do what you need to. Daniel 2.49 says that they were, the, um, they were to be over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Daniel actually was at the gate. Chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar makes this a 90-foot tall statue. Whenever you hear the music, everybody's to bow down. You're to bow down, you're to worship him. These three didn't. 
And since they didn't, they were brought before the king. He told them, you've got to do it. No, we're not going to do it. We're not going to defy you. And he says, listen, if you don't, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. And their response was, in Daniel 3, 17, for, for it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The next verse says he was so mad he told him to, to fire the fiery furnace up to seven times as hot as it normally is. And I had to throw verse 21 in because I thought that was just, it's weird. They put their coats on them, they put their pants on, they put their hats, they put everything they had on them to put them in a fiery furnace. Now I could see if he was going to take them outside and throw them in the snow or something, but to put them in a fiery furnace. They just wrapped them up with everything they could and put them in. So the fire is so hot that those men that actually put put those three men in there, they died. And Nebuchadnezzar was checking it out. He's like, how many did you put? We put three. There's four walking around. Four. It's got to be something of the Lord. So they open it and tell them to come out. And as they come out, the clothes don't smell of smoke. Their hair is not singed. They're not hurt at all. And he realizes that these were men of God. Then you move to their buddy, Daniel. Daniel 6. Uh, Darius has, uh, the Midian, has come in to reign, I guess, to become king after um, Belshazzar was slain. He set up 120 princes over the, his area. Um, then he had presidents over that, and Daniel was like one of the, the head presidents there. So, you know how it is, anybody with power. Those that's right under him, just, I, gotta, I want that spot, I want that spot. So they try to figure out how they can take him out. So as they're trying this, they know how Daniel is, they know how he worships his God, so what can we do? So they get it and get the king to write a decree that if you don't bow down and worship him, then you are going to be thrown in the lion's den. Well, he didn't, um, the decree was made, but Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into the house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, as he did before. He, that didn't bother him. So the little title tells that's wanting to do this. They have to go tell the king, look, you gotta, you gotta go take care of him. He's broke your law. And we know that the law, you couldn't change it. He couldn't, well, I'll make it, no, it's the law. You have to do it. So Daniel is brought before Darius and, um, is put into the lion's den. But he tells him, God, you're God. I know you're God. He's gonna keep you safe. He had respect for Daniel. He, he had that respect. He knew he would keep him safe. Um, the king could not eat or sleep that night. Daniel 6, 20 through 22 says, And when he came to the den, this is the next morning, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, what servant of the living God is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? <clears throat> then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. Forasmuch as before him innocency 
was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So the king then takes all those that accused, the children of those men, the wives, throws them all in the lion's den. So, Jesus, the perfect example, immovable. Luke 4, 1 through 10, we know that this is the one where Satan has come and does the three temptations with Jesus. Mark 1, 9 through 13, Jesus was baptized. We know, we read that the Spirit called him out to the wilderness and he was there for 40 days, also tempted during those 40 days. But in Luke 4, he comes back and it, it states in there that he had not eaten and he was hungry. So we know the first temptation. Oh, you're so hungry. Turn, just turn these little, these little stones to bread. And he replied, you shall not live by bread alone. Second temptation takes him up on the mountain. Every kingdom you see, it's all yours. Here it is. It's perfect for you. It's all yours. Just bow down and worship me. He says, nope, you should not worship nothing. The Lord thy God only. Then you go to the third temptation. He puts him up on the pinnacle of the temple and says, just cast off, just jump off. And the Lord's going to send angels. You won't even hurt your toe against the stone. He'll catch you. And he says, no, you can't tempt the Lord your God. Jesus, no matter what was thrown at him, he remained unmovable. So, how do we remain unmovable? First, we must be strong in the Lord. See, <clears throat> we're not strong ourselves. We, we need strength from others. We need strength from each other. You know, that's why the Bible tells us we're to exhort each other. We're to build each other up. And that's, that's, that's a reason that it tells us that. So, we, our strength that we get actually comes from the Lord. First Samuel 30, we read about David. Um, Saul is trying to kill him. So he goes and he starts to um, join with this Philistine king. God sort of intervenes because they are fixing to turn around and fight Saul. And the Lord intervenes and says, listen, you just need to go home. So there's him, his men, they go home. But when they go home, they find their city is burned. Their family's taken captive by the Amalekites. And the men are just disheartened. They're just distraught. They're tore up. And they want to, they want to get David. David, it's your fault. It's, they're just disgusted with him. Verse 6 tells us, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David about to be killed, what's the first thing he did? He went to God for strength. And when I was reading over this today, it made me go back to think about our own personal lives. How strong are you during everyday life versus how strong are you in the Lord when you've got troubles? Majority of the people, as you saw when 9-11 happened, Brother Micah talked about this in his college class just a few weeks ago. 9-11 happened, what happened? Church attendance just ballooned. We're having hard times. We need to look to the Lord. Do we get that way sometimes in our life? Everything's fine. Everything's rosy. We're just going along. No big deal. And the Lord just sort of gets put back on the back burner. But then all of a sudden we're having a hard time and the first thing we do is, Oh, Lord, I need you to help me. Is that how we get sometimes? See, David took David later, after he got his strength, he renewed his men. They go. They recovered all the goods. And that's where 
that we are at. As Christians, we have that ability to go to God for strength each and every time that we have that difficult time. Number two, we must know the Lord's strength. See, God's eternal. He's the creator of everything. Um, spoke into existence. We're talking about Genesis in our class on Wednesday night, my third and fourth grade class. And so I looked at one of them the other night and just the blank floor and I said, make me a bicycle. They looked at me like I'd slide. Oh, what are you talking about? I said, make me a bicycle. Well, there's nothing there. I said, exactly. That's what God did. God said, here it is. And it was done. He has that power. He has that strength that he can do that. Satan, the powerful enemy, but he was created. He was from God. We know God cast him out. Um, we know when we look at God and how he delivered the children of Israel. They're in Egypt, the rough time. They go through the plagues. They get them out. They go through all these, um, the Red Sea. And then that 40 years of the wilderness, like we talked about earlier, God's strength was with them the whole time. You read 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. We read about Hezekiah. He is the king. Uh, the Assyrians are leaning on him. Pay us our tribute or we're going to come in and we're just going to destroy you. And so Hezekiah just is confused, just don't know what to do. So he starts seeking the Lord's advice. And as he's seeking the Lord's advice, it comes back to him and he says, Listen, you're fine. They're not going to come in to your city. They won't even shoot an arrow into your city. And we read that in that night, the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Now, that's some strength. That is some strength, 185. And I thought about that today. Right, we've got men and women fighting over, overseas. And what would happen to, our, to whatever country we're in if they had 185,000 in one night to die? Would they not say, whoa, 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 we need to back up off this country. We need to just back away. But that is something that happened, and that was something they saw. So, number three, we must know our weaknesses. Each of us has our own weaknesses. <clears throat> None of us are the same. Every one of us is different. And, you know, I have my weaknesses at 41. My father has his weaknesses at 71. My son has his weaknesses at five. Every one of us here, we have our weaknesses. What will try to keep us away, no matter what our age is? You know, and we, we look at this a lot of times and we think, well, that just mainly pertains to those, those high school kids and early college kids and maybe those young adults. But it don't. When you get on up into later years, you still have those weaknesses. You have those chances that Satan is trying to get you. Sometimes pride and arrogance can blind us to what it is. You know, we, we may look at things and I may say, well, you know, I see Brother Aaron over here. Well, he's a youth minister, but I know that he does this. Well, I do this, but it's not as bad as what he does. And if he's a youth minister, he's good, so I know I'm good. And that's the way a lot of people see themselves in society. See, I'm ahead of myself. I've got that verse in just a minute, so we'll hang on to that. All right. Sometimes we, we sometimes look at ourselves and we think, you know, the longer I'm a Christian, the stronger I'm a Christian. You know? We look at Brother Don over there and all his many, many years that he has over there, old Don G. You say, man, he's got a lot of years. He's got to be a strong Christian. Just because you've got age and you've been a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you've got the strength of the Christian. It's what you're putting in your life. 
You have to know what your weaknesses are. Um, comparing ourselves to others. That's where I was getting to. Second Corinthians 10 and 12. We can't compare ourselves to each other and base our whether we're saved or not or whether we're going to heaven off of that. Because Second Corinthians 10 and 12, and I must have forgot to put that in here, but that is the, uh, um, tells us that. We've got to be able to see our weaknesses and know the ways that we're tempted. We've got to know the ways that we need to depend on the Lord. We've got to know the, our areas of weakness. And I put Peter denying Jesus. You know, Jesus looked at Peter. I love Peter. I, I love the story of Peter. And this is one of my favorites right here because it just shows how Peter was, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to do everything I can for you. Peter says, you're, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not either. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live with you to the end. And we know that he denied him. And we know that if, when you do the reading on this, that when he denied him that third time, it says Peter looked at Jesus and Jesus was looking at him. Put that into you looking at Jesus when you sin. When you are movable and you've moved into the sin category, can you imagine looking Jesus straight in the face and him watching you do the sin you just did and think, I'm all right with you, Jesus. Or are you going to feel like you're this small? We have to put on God's armor. Ephesians 6, 11-18 tells us about the armor that we are to put on. Um, you look at this two or three different ways, and I've tried to think of this. Um, I've read some places where it says Paul was probably chained to a Roman soldier, and therefore, as he's writing this, he's just sort of like looking... And giving him an idea, okay, you've got a breastplate and we can do this and we've got, you know, and, and it's, it's giving him a mind of how he can look at that armor and put it into a Christianity's perspective. When you read Isaiah 11, 5 and Isaiah 59, 17, Isaiah 11, 5 says, And righteousness shall be girdled of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Isaiah 59, 17 says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and he was clad with a zeal as a cloak. A lot of them, they just they bring right along. So, it, you know, he might have used that as part of it, but you know he knew the law. When you look at verse 11, 13, 14 of Ephesians 6, <clears throat> look at verse 11, and it says, <clears throat> they're on the second line, be able to stand, stand against the wiles of the devil. Then you go to verse 13, the very ending, able and done all to stand. Verse 14 starts out, stand therefore, stand. Then you look at verse 13 also, and I believe it says, withstand. That is like a military term of holding your ground. Holding it, no matter what, defending it. And that's where that, that armor has to come about. The soldiers that we have fighting for our freedoms over there, they're fighting for this country. Their allegiance is to this country. When we're fighting our spiritual battle, our allegiance needs to be to God. No matter what happens, that is what we're fighting for. You know, and just like in the heat of many things, there's those that's going to back down. There's those that's going to run. They're not going to stand up. They they become movable. But we've got to be able to stand. 
We must rely on it to protect us, holding our, our position. And the last thing, armor, it doesn't work. You know, if someone comes at you and you're standing there and they try to rob you and you have, say, a concealed weapon on you, you've got some protection. You've got something with you. But if I don't, my finger is all I have. I can go pew, 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 but that ain't going to do anything. That's not going to protect me. When it comes to fighting this spiritual warfare, if we don't have our armor on, we can hold up our hands and say, yeah, we've got it on, we're protecting ourselves. But that's not going to do any good, is it? If we've got our spiritual warfare sitting in a closet, or if we want to say, dusty sitting on the bookshelf, on the coffee table, then it's not there. Our armor is doing us no protection. God cannot do all of the things for us. He's created us more free moral agents. It's up to us. We have that choice. He's given us that freedom. Like I said a while ago, <clears throat> if it's laying out there on the table, it's, for, it's there for us to take if we choose. But it's up, that's up to us. <clears throat> we have to put our desire for right and we put His power together that's when you have a great team. Um, you put your armor on and you're replacing your weaknesses by His armor. You're protecting your weaknesses and you're trying to, I say protecting, you're trying to overcome the weaknesses by having that armor, by filling the void. When those temptations and trials come, I've done forgot what number it is, but we've got to grow in biblical understanding. Just like war, sports, any competitive thing, you've got to know your opponent's plans. You've got to know their schemes. Tennessee doesn't know that right now, do they? Tennessee football knows nothing what their opponents are doing. So that's the, but you've got to know what they're doing. If you look at these sports teams, they sit for hours and they watch these videos and they're watching plays and they're trying to figure all this out. That's the way we are when we're fighting Satan. We've got to know what his tricks are. What his plays are. How is he going to try to come at us? Second Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We should not be ignorant of his devices. Too many times today we are. Um, if we are ignorant, then he's going to find that loophole. You know, like a lot of lawyers and things like that, they find the loophole. And that's where Satan's at. He's trying to get in that loophole to get at you. He's cunning and deceitful. Um, he has us believe the lifestyle that we have, the pleasure, the wants, desires. It's not a big deal. Listen, you're only here for a short time. You might as well enjoy yourself. And that's what so many think. They don't think about the big picture. They don't think about the long run of things. He's always constantly trying to attack the Holy Word. Whether it's in our school books, such as the evolution that's trying to be or is taught, um, they attacked Jesus' character. Ah, uh, he was just a good storyteller. He was a good man that walked upon the earth. Or God, my God is a God of love. He's not a God of judgment, uh, punishment. He loves me, so he's going to take me to heaven. That is what the world sees of the Holy Word, our God, and our Lord. If we want to be immovable, we've got to have the understanding that none of that's true. The devil uses discouragement, pride, selfishness, lust, love of money, many other things to price away. I think Brother Tony missed this one. Sometimes even trying to get in the church and work around, you know. Um, we got to grow in, in our understanding in order to protect ourselves from those wiles of the devil. 
when we do grow in it, then we're putting better armor on. You know, it's like a lot of things, even our, I mean, even like a bulletproof vest. There's different degrees of vest. I mean, you, you have a cheaper one and you have the really good ones. Do the police departments buy the really, really cheap ones or do they buy some good ones? They buy good ones. They're protecting. That's the way we need to be with our Christianity. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now when you look at the New King James, it says be diligent. And I have thought about this and, and I thought, and it's finally just come to my, just the only way I can wrap this together. If you study the word of God, you're going to be diligent. If you're diligent, you're going to study the word of God. So you can put them any way you want. If they're going to work together. If you do one or the other, you're going to get that studying and you're going to be diligent. So in conclusion, we, uh, we must practice what we believe, resist the temptations, and if we want to avoid Satan's traps. Revelations 20.10 tells us that God is going to have the ultimate ending finale. He's going to take Satan, throw him into the lake of fire. He'll be tormented forever. Just the same that we're going to be if we're not found faithful. Our last verse this evening goes back to our reading. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Think about this right as you think about being immovable. Where are you at today? Have you been moved from where you were when you were first a Christian? Or are you still immovable? If you've not become a Christian, we're asking you come tonight. When you leave these doors tonight, you may not make it home. You may not make it back Wednesday night. Tonight is the chance of opportunity. So if you've never become a Christian or if you've wandered away, we're asking you now to please come as we stand and sing.